All right, welcome back to the Laravel Podcast. We are back from Laracon US, back from Laracon EU. Uh, I didn't have a baby, but there's a new baby at my house that I, I you know, I helped. And uh, we're ready to kind of catch up on, it's been maybe near a month since we talked last. So um, I'm your host, Matt Stauffer, and uh, other two hosts here. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? I am Jeffrey. And I'm Taylor Utwell. All right, so we got a lot on the plate today, as always. So we're going to do a quick catch up on quite a few things that have been going on and just a couple kind of casual and random conversations that have come up lately. So for starters, let's do some recaps. I was not at Laracon US or Laracon EU because the aforementioned baby coming home, um, but I, I followed uh, both on Twitter and I followed Laracon US over the videos. So can you guys kind of share any thoughts you had or any places? Did you do any kind of recapping? I don't think you wrote like a blog post recapping, but what what um, what was US like? What was you, you like? Any t- takeaways for either of you i had a lot of fun um i thought us this was my favorite us year um since i i'm more involved with uh organizing us and i actually don't do any organization uh with eu but i thought us was really smooth this year i thought the speakers were probably our strongest speaker lineup we've ever had i think um you know there were just a lot of great talks uh both from the laravel community and then people outside the community like uh sandy metz and um Ryan Singer. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. I just thought it went really smooth. EU was uh, pretty cool. They had a really, probably the nicest venue I've seen for a conference. And uh, that was a really sweet setup that they had put a lot of time into, I think. So it was an old sugar factory? Is that right? Yeah, it was this place called Sugar City in Amsterdam, which is an old sugar factory, which has basically been hollowed out and they rent it out for different events and stuff. But it was a pretty sweet little space. Just had a really good vibe to it. So it was a cool cool spot. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, Sean and Yeroon and their team do a really good job of paying attention to little little details. Um, the little bits and pieces. I remember uh, last year, they were really excited about what's the Tesla. And so they made Ooh, sure that yeah. the speakers were all picked up from the airport at Tesla. And mine didn't. I was I was so mad when the guy showed up. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to put you in this little tiny. And I was like, what? And I complained about it for like a week. I know. But yeah, it's just I those little those little details about you know just making things good so yeah the pictures looked really beautiful and it's nice to have a professional photographer um from us i loved watching those videos um it was cool that it was the it was it streamicon was that first conference yeah. that they ever did yeah. and it's like a laravel community member built in laravel and and are the are they all public now yeah all the videos are public and yeah that was cool uh, alex hackney is the guy that did it uh with streamicon and yeah it went really smooth it was a little choppy the first half of the first day because um we had some modem issues but then we got a hardwired connection at the venue that made it really smooth for the rest of the conference and yeah he had the videos up um for you know people that paid for early access had them basically the next day and then we released them all publicly a few weeks later um so yeah that was definitely yeah that worked out really well it could have been like really bad if you had like bad internet connectivity issues but so i felt like we were pretty lucky all things considered yeah it's a good idea um so jeffrey i i know that there's there's always this kind of conversation that comes around when jeffrey intends a conference where people are like so jeffrey is speaking to millions of people you know a day and he's you know he's so outgoing and stuff like that and then you get to a conference and you you'll often openly say you're like look i'm not actually an extrovert you know i'm going to go here because i i want to be involved in the community stuff like that but i'm you know and, and if anybody's not familiar with the difference in introverts versus extroverts it's not about how outgoing you are but it's about whether being around lots of people gives you energy or sucks away your energy right and jeffrey you com- you commonly say like hey guys just so you all know i'm i'm an introvert you know i don't go out there and think like 
tons of energy. So what what is it like going to Lyricon US for you? I mean, do you do you have to like kind of and I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I had this question <laughs> for any any introvert as a at a conference because I'm not an introvert, you know, like give me more people all day long. Um, but since you're the our resident, you know, uh, introvert that I get to ask this question of what is it like going to conferences as an introvert? I love this. Jeff, you're so weird. What's it like when you go to a conference for <laughs> you? Yeah, you? I felt bad. Can you how weird you are for, just for our <laughs> yeah. listeners? The, Look, my wife not, is an introvert as well. So, I, you know, this is... It's nothing crazy. Um, conferences, I, I, I think, are, are a little... I don't know. Like, w- when I'm in a big room with huge crowds, uh, it can get a little overwhelming. And it's just a personality thing. You either are this way or you're not. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Matt, like some people, you get your energy from being with tons of people and meeting new people. Uh, and then other people are, are just kind of the the opposite. So, like, I, I enjoy going to conferences. I, I enjoy being around people, but it wears me down. I, I think that's probably the big thing. The um, yeah. I enjoy it as much as anyone, but I get worn down from it much faster than other people. Or, or any kind of more introverted person gets worn down yeah. much more quickly than anyone else. So I, I definitely get to this point where it's like, I'm done. You know, like, that's the best way I can describe it, where you get to a point where you're done and you need kind of quiet space um yeah it's weird it's 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 not an illness but it feels like an illness sometimes but no i mean i enjoy it while i'm there and i think that's why i wanted to ask you and i'm sorry if i I put you on the spot i want to ask because i think that um especially that like those of us who are extroverted tend to be kind of louder voices and so it maybe gives people the like the impression that that's like that's the normal and then introverted is an illness or whatever and it's not like people are different and every people does people experience things different i think that i've found that like people openly talking about like being something that feels different from the norm and be like, yeah, I'm this way and I'm normal and it's fine. I think it's something that can help people not feel bad about it or even like be able to put a, put a finger on this being a real thing. Like, I'm sorry, I'm talking about this too much, but like I've, I've talked to a lot of people recently who are either they're not outgoing or they're, they're an introvert or whatever else. And they feel like they feel bad. Right. And I'm like, no man, like go to your conference, go to two talks and then go back to your hotel room for two hours if you need or something like that. So I, I that's why I asked, I should have prepared you for no, it. But no, like, you know, cool. just... And I, I think that's a good point. Like a conference, a conference can be anything you want it to be. Right. So I know there exactly. are some people yeah. who like every other talk, they're just sitting in the hallway. Like a lot of people rarely go into the talks. I find it kind of yeah. weird, honestly, where they just kind of hang out. Yeah. I find um, that but weird I guess, as well. I do too, but that's what they get from it. Like they, they much prefer to just talk to people in the hallway and, and that's the benefit for them. Other people, you know, they're in every single talk and they want to talk to the speaker, every single speaker once they're done. You know, it, it's just a personality thing. Um, but yeah, a yeah. conference can be anything you want it to be. You're the one paying, so do what you want. I've met tons of people uh, at conferences where I can tell they're they're hugely introverted, you know, where it's hard for yeah. them to talk to people or or they um they eat by themselves or they sit in a corner and that's okay you know like I, yeah. I don't think once again it's not like an illness it's just what they would prefer they would prefer to yeah. be by themselves at that point um yeah it's it's an interesting topic this came to my mind recently because we were talking about something where uh, I realized that I was talking to two people who who kept wanting to talk to each other and one person wanted a something loud and public and the other person wanted an email and we had the conversation and I realized that like there's so many aspects in the ways that our personal our personal kind of styles and our just our personalities impact how we expose and interact with individuals how we interact with uh social media how we interact with conferences and stuff like that so it just kind of popped in my mind so i just thought no it's a perfect example that 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 comes up all the time where somebody's like hey let's jump on the phone real quick or jump on skype and um some people like that's how they connect it's the best way it's the quickest way um i'm kind of the other way once again not because i don't want to talk to them but it's more like well if i if i talk to you on the phone i'm kind of on the spot 
Whereas if we yeah. just do it through text, I actually have time to think before I reply versus, you know, feeling the silence if I don't respond for five seconds. And then you just have to yeah. throw something out there. Um, I much prefer to have time to think. Plus, it's on your own time with with a text. Whereas I feel like with a phone call, it's like really proper it's and pressure, hey, can we right? dedicate yeah. 30 minutes to talk to each other. And I don't know. Sometimes you need it. Uh, but lots of cases, I, I think a quick email or text message is, is much quicker. Yeah. I find that I I, did, I never anticipated how much of both in being involved in open source and also running a business would involve understanding like personality and psychology. Like I've I've been really reflecting on that a lot in the last month. Of like, man, it really takes a lot of understanding of how people work and how people don't work, and and not assuming that everybody else works the same way you do. Because like it's very easy for me to just steamroll the whole company and be like, you're all going to be extroverted and you're all going to communicate in my style and you're all going to, you know, get crazy late night, you know, excitement and work for five hours until 3am. Like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not healthy. So, okay, cool. So, so, so Laricon US, that was, that was y'all. So Laricon in US, Laricon EU. Um, so 5.3 got announced, the, the, like uh, the big feature set got announced at US and then it got released at EU. EU. So we've talked about a lot of those features already. Um, is there anything you want to think about or reflect on, on the 5.3 release kind of, uh, now that it's actually happening, you're kind of a few weeks in Taylor? Uh, no, I'm really happy with it. Actually. I think it's, like I said, it's one of my favorite releases and, the release itself was pretty smooth. There was no, um, you know, huge problems or bugs that came up really. So yeah, overall it was a good experience, and it's all been kind of a blur. Uh, there's been a lot of GitHub activity even before 5.3 released. Just a lot more pull requests, a lot more contributions have been coming in. That's been keeping me pretty busy. Um, every morning it seems like I'm spending like an hour or so just working pull requests. So. Yeah, lots of people interested in contributing lately, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll link in the show notes. Um, so, Jeffrey, you have a 5.3 series on Laircast, right? Yes, and you do too. Okay, so, yeah, so I'll link the Laircast 5.3 series, the mattstarford.co 5.3 series, and then the Laravel News 5.3 release post. So, if anybody wants to catch up on those things, there's three great places for it. Um, but talking about having a lot of issues, I think that's a perfect transition to our next topic of conversation, which is uh, your new hire. So l- recently, uh, Taylor, you put out a tweet of who wants to be Laravel employee number one. Um, and you hired and I- I've actually never heard his, say- his name said out loud. I've always said it Mohammed Saeed in my yeah, head. That's how um, I, I don't know it. if you've actually talked about this. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so so first hire, this is exciting news. And so if anybody's not familiar, Mohammed has actually been contributing quite a bit to Laravel 5.3 for a while. He did some of the some of the early kind of like small but significant 5.3 um, updates um, that in, and you can kind of see the history of some of those. You can see some of Taylor's tweets about the stuff that he's written. Um, so what do you what do you have him working on? When does he start? You know, any any other things going on that you want to share with us about that? Yeah. So right now he's working on getting Spark compatible with Laravel 5.3, which he already sent me a really big uh, pull request to basically do most of that already. And it just started Monday, so <laughs> that was pretty fast. Nice. Um, and then he's going to be doing uh, Lumen as well, getting that ready for 5.3, which shouldn't take too long, I don't think. And then um, after that, probably keep tackling uh, Spark uh, stuff, you know, feature requests people have wanted uh, with Spark. So kind of keeping that uh, project active and like evolving. And then also helping tackle GitHub issues. Like he's already gone through a lot of GitHub issues actually in the past couple of days and just sort of filtering them out to say like, is this a bug? Is this a support request? If it claims to be a bug, can we confirm that it's actually a bug, you know, and stuff like that, that's sort of time consuming, but 
needs to be done to filter out some of those, um, especially if there's some old issues that just linger out there and sort of need to be either closed or resolved. So that's what he's been doing lately. And uh, yeah, so yeah, it's been working out really well. And I think it will take a lot of time or a lot of weight off my shoulders to be able to focus on uh, the framework itself and Forge and Envoyer, which are kind of my main main plays at the moment. Yeah, he seems like a cool guy. He Muhammad's one of those people, I, I swear he just came out of the blue. And and I kind of yeah, love people did. like that where they um they kind of force not force, but you know what I mean. Like just suddenly they immerse themselves in a community and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, this person's part of it and he's a huge contributor to it. So um yeah. a lot of people are like that. I, I love yeah. it. Yeah. I see that happen sometimes where like someone will move to a job and they're using Laravel. And they'll just get like really yeah. into it and they'll start contributing and stuff. And that's, they just sort of appeared, seem to come out of nowhere. And I think that's kind of the case with him. I know he was doing some Code Igniter stuff and before that, like WordPress stuff. And, you know, at his uh, previous job was doing Laravel. So he was like getting deep into Laravel because they were working on a big application, you know. And uh, yeah, so it's been really, really helpful. He knows quite a bit about how the framework works internally, which is helpful. Yeah, I've found that um, in writing the book, I've gotten much deeper into some of the core of Laravel than I have before. And so interestingly, I find when people are tweeting things like, oh, did you know that Laravel can do this? I'm like, yeah, I knew that. And I found that like pretty much anything anybody tweets right now that they said, did you know Laravel can do this? Not almost, but almost everything. I, I'm like, yeah, I knew that. And I realized that just some, for for whatever reason, a period of really kind of deep diving into the framework, whether it's because you're having to use some kind of esoteric piece of it for your code or for my sake, the book, it really kind of just makes it your whole world and, and you're, you really think about it in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so I even like to do yeah. that for like individual components. Like sometimes, huh. especially when new things come out, like um, as an exercise, like take the scheduler component and completely dive in and figure out how yeah. it works. Like go into every single class and figure out, okay, so what happens when you do this and completely dismantle it behind the scenes. And if you go one component by, comp if you go component by component, it's it's not as overwhelming versus like looking yeah. at every single file. You can't do it. But one little thing, like once a week, just dig in and figure out how all of it works and you will have an insane understanding of um, how it works on the night. Little, I can't even talk today. How it works uh, underneath the hood. Sorry, we were I, up lots last that, night. The baby kept waking up. Jeffrey's introversion really like comes out even on podcasts, which is interesting. <laughs> no, no, we were up <laughs> three or four times last night. Yeah, baby, the, dude, that newborn life. Yeah, I'm with you. I had, had several coffees in already this morning. Um, but yeah, that's that's actually one of the reasons why my book took so long to write. I originally hoped it was going to be nine months, and it ended up being kind of thirteen months, and it's because. I ref I re I realized I had to refuse to write a section in the book unless I had read all the source code for it, and it just took longer than I thought. Because originally, kind of, it was like, yeah, I'll just write based on what I know and the docs, and and I, I realized very quickly that that was not I was not going to be satisfied doing that. So literally, every section it was just like you said, section by section, chapter by chapter. I read the entire source code for something, and often I was documenting something, and that's kind of where my posts of like things I didn't know Laravel could do, or when I would I said to Taylor like, "Hey, these things aren't documented, or whatever," is because I was literally reading the source code, and I was like, "Oh, I literally did not know that Laravel could do that." So yeah, I, I highly source diving. I mean, Taylor said this since day one: source diving and getting familiar with the source code is like the absolute best thing that you can do to understand Laravel better. Yeah, it's. I mean, and you gain a big respect, I think, too. Like source dive into Eloquent. And I think you're yeah. going to gain a huge appreciation. Like Eloquent is kind of this beast. There is so much going on. It's it's pretty incredible. Like I don't I don't even know how Taylor works on it because th there's a lot to take in. 
there's so many moving parts. I mean, that's why I really respect Eloquent and what it does, because there's so many moving pieces to make all of that code as elegant to write for the user. Um, yeah. it's, it's pretty complex. All right. So next, uh, next up is Taylor, you tweeted that a lot of the next year is going to be spent on forge upgrades. So what can you tell us about what you're going to be doing there? Um, gosh, a whole backlog of stuff, you know, that's kind of like built up over the past year or two. Um, I guess forge is over two years old now. Um, so things like on the immediate horizon are a lot of people want to be able to create databases from the forge UI, which I've always created them through like a SQL pro or something like that. But a lot of people want to do it through the UI. So, um, I guess I'll honor that, uh, request that's been coming in and then, uh, making it easier to get started with different types of projects like a uh, WordPress or something like that, that has like a slightly different Nginx configuration than you would use with Laravel. So detecting that you have a WordPress project and, you know, trying to give you a better Nginx configuration out of the box so that things work a little better. Um, yeah, I mean, there will be other things. I sort of need to weed out, you know, which things will get implemented and which things won't. But mm-hmm. that's basically my job for the next few months, uh, more or less, is to focus cool. on that. Um, my still, still my, to this day, my favorite Forge feature of all time is when you added the quick search <laughs> yeah. for of all your sites and servers. So if y'all don't know that, it, yeah, it's amazing. You just, you no longer have to click through anything. You just go on a, go to the quick search and type a server name or a site name or whatever. And you got it, one of those auto completing drop downs. <laughs> this is like everyone liking DD as their favorite Laravel feature. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the little things, man. This it's is the little true. things. DD is like, God, it's really amazing how popular that little function. Has <laughs> DD is life. I know. I was just going to say that DD really is life. Uh, all right. So, uh, next thing that I want to get an update on Laracast, what are the latest kind of new series you've been doing? What's the latest kind of free stuff that you're releasing? What's, what's just, what's going on with Laracast? Yeah, I'm actually doing a ton of stuff, uh, behind the scenes, but in terms of content, yeah, what I've been trying to do lately is for like whatever tool I cover, like if it's Laravel or PHP or, or view, you know, the, the stuff the site covers, I like the, the fundamental layer to be entirely free. So like a Laravel from scratch series is free. What's new in Laravel 5.3 is free. Um, the view series is free. The PHP for beginner series is free. And I think like it's, it's kind of smart just in terms of marketing, I think. But also, you know, it's just good to make that, that entry level as free as possible. The documentation is free to watch. So the videos should be free to watch as well. And then the documentation is free to read. Uh, but yeah, then once you want to go up a step, then I can actually pay my bills. But I, I kind of like that. The the lower level documentation stuff is entirely free. Even for people who don't know much about uh, Laravel or Vue, they can just, they can kind of step their feet in and see if they like it. Um, I think it's kind of a nice service. Um, I'm doing tons of stuff, like a, a few series I'm planning. I already finished up, like the What's New in Laravel 5.3 ended up being kind of a bigger job than I thought. I feel like Taylor was kind of secretive about mm-hmm. a lot of that release because I don't know, or maybe it just happened all at the end. Yeah. Because I was thinking 5.3 was almost like, um, sort of like this iPhone 7 is supposed to be kind of like an incremental, like nothing crazy, just a few nice to haves. Uh, and it turned out to be like this crazy good release that, that took a long time to cover. But now that all that stuff's done, uh, I want to do a, a full series on uh, Flexbox. It'll be called Flex This. Uh, I'm nice. doing a series on building a forum like Laracast completely from scratch. Um, and then maybe we'd make it open source and people can fool around with it. Um, I'm doing a series on billing. 
So like using Stripe and then working out to using Spark, but um, starting with Stripe so you can figure out how it, did I say Spark? Stripe and then moving over to um, Cashier that, that Cashier, Laravel made. Yeah. But yeah, starting with just Stripe itself and figuring out what the API feels like and how to set up webhooks and, you know, anyone who wants to do that from scratch. And then I, I would think the final two videos will be on Cashier so that I can say like, okay, all that stuff we wrote, you can completely delete and now it's this easy, but you understand what's going on. Uh, once again, underneath the hood. But yeah, I mean, that's about it. Like lots of content coming. Um, November is always a really big month for Laracast because I do the sale and I usually do a uh, refresh of the site. So um, I'm, I'm hard at work. It's awesome. I always love the new refreshes. Um, well, there's two things going on. One of them is my, my 5.3 series um, is fi- I'm finally going to get in and update it. So I wrote a lot of the 5.3 posts while um, 5.3 was in active development, and then uh, we had a baby. And so when the changes got released, and also when Passport and Scout got released and everything like that, um, I was totally out of the out of the saddle. So I'm back in it now. So first thing I'm going to do is going to go update, um, especially the Echo post. I've gotten a lot of requests for updates. So I'm going to update all my 5.3 posts for the latest, the, the final release syntax, and then I'll finish writing up the pieces I haven't. Um, we finally got a book release date from the publisher, which is great. Um, I wrote a whole blog post about this, so you can go read that. I'll link in the show notes. But in short, um, people are like, hey, man, I ordered this book a while ago. Why has it not come out yet? Is because we couldn't finalize the manuscript until 5.3 was released. So there's a couple of features that you know came out at Laracon US that I learned how it worked at Laracon US. So that, then I had to go write the book. You know, So basically what happened was I got as much done as possible. 5.3 was released. I, I wrote that all up in my book and then submitted the manuscript. And so when you submit the manuscript, then there's a six to eight week long process with a traditional publisher where it goes to copy editing and they do all like their formal printy stuff. Because I basically wrote the book in ASCII doc in Git. And now they're kind of doing all the conversion and all the copy editing. And they said between back and forth and copy editing, all that kind of stuff, the book itself, ebook will be done end of October early and then the, the print book will be early november which to me is just crazy but again i you know i chose traditional publisher but it's there's definitely times where you feel the pain of not self-publishing because i'm like it's done now i'm ready to publish it tomorrow and they're like yep see you in two months <laughs> so but that's where we are um so that's what's going on with the book release date and i'll again i'll link a whole blog post with some faqs and stuff like that um but I, another thing came up for me recently where i got a question from one of my friends who's a full-time rails developer and i reflected on the fact that i get these questions quite a bit and so i want us to talk about it a little bit here um, and there's two, the two main questions I get is, uh, number one, where should I start learning Laravel if I'm an experienced programmer in either another PHP framework or in another language? And then number two is where should I get started if I don't know any programming? Number two is definitely much more difficult. I don't know if we're gonna have time for it today, but at least for number one, the, the, the answer I gave, and I want to hear what y'all thoughts about this is I said, there's two, two primary resources and of course they're self-serving, but I still think they're the best. Number one is I think that my book, the whole purpose of my book was you're an experienced programmer who doesn't know Laravel. Here, here's how to get up and running as quickly as possible. But number two is I was like, everybody I know who writes Laravel should have a Laracast subscription. So of course, I'm going to say my book, Jeffrey's going to say Laracast, but I'm not saying this because, you know, it's just self-serving. I think that those are the two primary places I would look. And then of course, subscribe to Laravel News for continued updates on what's going on, stuff like that. Are, um, uh, reading through the docs is good, source diving. What, what do you guys think about when someone asks, how can I learn Laravel I've never touched before? What are your kind of primary places to go? One thing I would really recommend is just reading through the docs in their entirety. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people will um, try to skim or like pick and choose on the docs, which makes sense, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, because you're sort of like digging into what you're doing at the time. But I think if you set aside the time to read through every page from top to bottom, like in order, just go down the left side and read it through every page. 
Like you'll understand mm-hmm. so much more about the framework. And I see, I get a lot of questions that are documented, but people just haven't like read through all the docs. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think that would be hugely beneficial to people. I think <laughs> I agree. I think it's great advice. I mean, honestly, with every new release, uh, obviously Taylor kind of does a refresh of the docs or at least kind of combs over them. Uh, I read it all over again. Like I've been doing this for a long time and I still pick up things I didn't know. Yeah, so I, I think and those talks are. Go ahead. They're excellent. They're really, really good. Like I, I, I found myself less and less having things to write in the blog and less and less having really unique things to contribute in the book. And, and I'm not saying I have nothing right, but like as uh, the, Taylor, you've really put a lot of work over the last year into taking the docs from like very good docs to like you could almost learn the framework from docs. Alone. Yeah, I feel like five dot one to five dot two was a big leap because I read through every page and every word and fixed a lot of things and then 5.2 to 5.3 i did the same thing again like i read through every single line of the docs fixed every little grammar issue i could find everything that was like missing or wasn't clear and so once you do that a couple times like it starts to get pretty polished and i think i'm pretty happy where it is now actually where i feel like the docs are in a pretty good place but yeah i think it would be really beneficial I would personally love to know how you how you handle some of this because like somebody makes a PR to add some new method or feature, mm. but often that doesn't come with a documentation PR as well. And so if you're not careful, that gets merged and then yeah. everyone kind of forgets about it and it doesn't get added to the documentation. Like, do you have some way to to keep track of that? Like, yeah, I keep a Trello. I keep a Trello board of everything that I know of that's been merged that hasn't been documented. And I keep a Trello on that same Trello board. I just have different columns. So one is documentation and that has everything I know of that needs to be documented. And then one has breaking, there's one column of just breaking changes. So I don't forget, like if someone makes like a really little breaking change, we still have to document it. And so I keep a column of that. And then I keep a column of new features that I need to add to the docs uh, for the next release. So that helped me like with Laravel at three, I pretty much had everything in that Trello that hadn't been documented yet. So I was able to just go down that Trello board and document everything on that list. So that was uh, really helpful. All right. So I got two more things and then we're going to call it a day. So number one, um, this may end up be, being me talking, but I just wanted to throw out an answer I gave to a couple of people and see if y'all had anything to contribute. Um, so people have been asking a lot about soft deletes recently, and that actually was kind of the source of Titan releasing package called Quicksand. But I also noticed, speaking of the docs, that um, you added a note to the... Um, validation for the unique validation. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, soft deletes are a feature that make it possible that when you delete something from one of your eloquent models, instead of actually deleting that record, it sets the deleted at column in that record to be right now. And then by default, if you're using the soft deleting or soft deletes traits um, in, in Laravel, it will just basically no longer show up in, a, in, a, in your eloquent queries. And so the benefit of that is it's still there and you can kind of add a scope with trashed or only trashed that brings those back um, so that you can allow people to recover stuff from the history or for whatever reason you might need deleted stuff. It's still around. Um, So there's a lot of value to it. But uh, there's a quick warning um, that we made with Quicksand, which is that that's also over time you're getting more and more and more deleted records, which is basically a whole bunch of unused records that are starting to clutter up your database. And so Titan just released a package called Quicksand that allows you to configure for each model how long your quick or your soft deleted items should sit around before they get deleted. And often we just say, you know, I just want to keep them for a month and we delete them. So that was one piece. Also, um, Michael Dorinda has a package called Laravel Cascade Soft Deletes. And so it sets it up basically to make sure that when you delete a parent record, then all of its soft deleted things are deleted or 
you can basically a whole bunch of definitions you can make about how to handle soft deletes um, or cascading deletes when soft deletes are part of it. Mm. So that's another one. Um, but I think the last thing was this note that you said. Um, so this note um, is in the validation for unique. And so that's basically saying when somebody submits something, let's say they submit a username and they're signing up and you say um, you're using the unique validation rule. That so it says this particular username field must be unique in the users table when they sign up, which makes sure that nobody else can sign up with that same username. But the interesting thing is if you're not explicitly um, defining it, like you mentioned this note, um, it's also going to make sure it's unique against soft deleted ones. And so let's say somebody with the username of Matt Stauffer deletes their account. Well, you can't go back and sign back up with the, the account of Matt Stauffer because there's still soft delete there. Um, and so one thing you could do is just not use soft deletes. But another thing is there's this note, and I'll link to the note. It basically says um, you can define to exclude um, columns from your unique check. Um, arose from your unique check if certain things are true, right? And so this basically gives a little syntax example of how to say where uh, username must be unique in the users table unless the deleted at column is you know set or where the deleted at column is also set to null. Am I understanding correctly that that was kind of what you were thinking about there? Yep, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was a community a community PR, but yeah, it was an interesting okay. use case for uh, that that rule. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something I've never thought about before. So if you're using soft deletes uh, and you're using unique, it might be something you want to go check out. And again, I'll link it in the show notes that you might be doing unique check against soft deleted stuff. And you might want to put a little bit of code in there to, to walk around that. So I think those are the main things I want to check about. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to say about anything I just said? Or, or if not, that's fine. No, it's a good summary. Well done. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. So, so last thing before we're done for the day. What is the number one movie or maybe two or three movies, or whatever, that you either are or were, you know, in Taylor's case, since your kids are a little bit older, most excited for your kids slash kids to watch? I'm so glad you asked this because I've talked about my I've talked to my wife about this or anything like it. it oh, yeah. Nice. You know, it, I've just had my first daughter. So it's kind of like you get to relive your childhood a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. already trying to force it on her. Like I'm making her watch movies that she does not in any way comprehend other than cool colors. But yep. Um for me, like anything Jim Henson, uh, I've said this before, mm. I think Jim Henson is like a genius of, of epic proportions. Um, he died a long time ago, but but the stuff he did while he was alive was was pretty incredible. So anything like um, the Muppet movie or Fraggle Rock or or Labyrinth, maybe maybe when she gets oh, older Labyrinth. with Labyrinth. There's, there's yeah. some weird connotations in Labyrinth, but mm-hmm. it's still a masterpiece. Um, but yeah, like... I used to watch this movie called Follow That Bird. Um, it was like a big bird movie that I was obsessed with as a little kid. So it's kind of fun to make her watch that. Um, and basically That's just awesome. decide which movies they're going to love. You know, I feel like it's that way with a blanket or a toy. Like you basically assign them their favorite thing. Um, yeah. And sports teams as well. Yeah. Like you're going to love this sports team and this is going to be your favorite blanket of all time and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Muppets, Labyrinth. Um, Fraggle Rock, Dark Crystal when they get older, Never Ending Story, um, lots of fun stuff to make them watch. Yeah, for me it's kind of interesting because like, yeah, that my kids are a little a little bit older, but um, they've seen several of the things that I never would have expected them to, to still be popular, like when they were kids or like when I was a kid, you know, Pokemon was really popular, and just recently like they watched the pokemon show on netflix of course but then pokemon go came out and it was like they got to experience this pokemon thing like fresh in a way which i never would have expected when i was a kid it was really cool that it would still be around this (laughs) this these many uh, years later bigger than ever really yeah 
And then also uh, for James, he he got really into Power Rangers, which is another show I watched a lot as a kid. That's awesome. So yeah, we we watched the same stuff, weirdly. Um, <laughs> which I, That's so Like great. I said, I definitely didn't expect. Uh, going forward, I mean, of course, I'm a huge Trek fan, which I've mentioned a lot. But I, So I hope my kids like Trek. I'll probably be pretty heartbroken if they don't like Trek. Um, and they've already gotten into Star Wars, both of them. James and Victoria really like Star Wars. Um, as you know, Victoria really likes Ray, of course, um, in the new movie. And James is a huge uh, Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, Dark Side fan. So nice. Yeah. That's cool. I, I hadn't even thought about uh, movies versus TV shows. Like, because, for example, I don't think I'm excited about my kids seeing the Star Trek movies so much as the TV yeah, shows. Yeah, the TV show. Which is interesting. Yeah. You know, they're going to watch right, so- it and be like, what is this? 50 year old yeah. crap dad yeah, it, no for sure yeah. it is it's not as uh, clear cut if they will like it as like some other stuff i'm not sure i can see james watching deep space nine no, we can not hope. anytime soon <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i'm trying to get my wife to watch star wars and even that is a, is a is a stretch so um okay so i haven't thought of i didn't actually i asked the question and didn't even think about it but i definitely so star wars for sure um and then tv shows i wanted to see the animated batman and uh teenage Mutant ninja turtles and those, the those were the shows the when I grew up. Ones? The 90s ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, new ones, cool too. That's fine by me. Um, I just love, and it's funny because I like have this mild love for superheroes, but it's kind of been like quiet. And then he fell in love with superheroes and it's kind of like reminded me of how much I love it. And so all of a sudden we're like superhero geeks together. So he's watching all the Avengers shows and everything like that. But honestly, other than like Batman, Superman, Super, uh, and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there wasn't a lot going on in the 90s. There's a lot more now. So it's kind of like he's getting good quality material now of stuff that I liked then, but there wasn't all that good material then. So he's watching all these Avengers shows and stuff. Um, but definitely Star Wars. Um, I'm also thinking about like some things like, um, like Braveheart. And stuff like that, like in Princess Bride. And a lot of those will be like when he's definitely when he's older. Uh, Monty Python, stuff like that. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to like being a geek with him. I mean, like he's going to be a cool kid and stuff like that. But he's he's definitely a geek with his daddy. So and with my daughter, I'm I'm now so excited that she can see Ray. Like I'm I'm so much more excited about her seeing Star Wars now that we have legit female lead characters. And I I, I had a theoretical value for those things. Um, but now that I have a daughter, it's like a hundred times more. I'm like, yeah, man, it's going to be cool for her to see the original Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's not like it's a female empowerment kind of thing. You know, with Ray, I'm like, yes, I want her to, to, to get all excited about Ray and everything like that. So uh, I don't think I have anything else. There's probably a million movies, but basically it's the same thing. as like the nostalgic movies that I loved in the 90s, whether or not they actually like them, I, you know, they're going to see them. So one thing I've noticed, I, I don't know if this is limited to Pixar or not, but like some of these Pixar movies are like incredibly deep movies. And I don't feel like the the kids movies I watched in the nineties were that way. I feel like they were just a little more, I don't know, maybe I just didn't pick up on it back then, but like I was watching um, inside out with my wife um, and the baby the other day. And it's like, that's a really intense movie. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of emotional stuff, a lot of commentary on depression and anxiety. It's pretty amazing how they kind of weave those together so that I think the kids don't even realize what's going on, but the adults appreciate it on this completely different level. Uh, it's pretty when, amazing. Uh, when Bing Bong dies in Inside Out, that's like hardcore. Holy crap, right? I mean, yeah. geez. Yep. My, that's pretty we watched brutal. that, I swear to God, my wife was crying at that point. Dude, I was crying a couple times in that movie, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> that was some next level brutality by the writers. Yeah. And again, it's like the, the adults kind of feel it on a different level, just that kind of yep. bittersweet, like passing of the time and and forgetting your old childhood stuff but 
It's amazing. I think there's some things where, like, uh, when we were kids, things were a little bit more like that, and some where they're less. Like, I think, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, there wasn't any of that kind of stuff going on. But interestingly, like, take a look at Animaniacs. Like, if you go back and watch Animaniacs, you're like, how did I miss all of this stuff that was... It was this, is a, this is an adult show that they were letting a little... You know, they did a good job of making it kid-friendly. But like this... So, uh, and, and often when we watch TV today, I'm like, how is this stuff so mindless? Like, for my son, there's, there's like 90% of the TV that like is even on like the kids' channels and trying to be very... I'm like, no way I'm going to let you watch this. This is mush. The good thing is there's some good stuff. One of them... Actually, I was like, very excited about him seeing Mr. Rogers. I was like, I, Mr. Rogers is one of my biggest role models. and. There's a show now based on a character in Mr. Rogers called Daniel Tiger. His son has his own show now, like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood or something like that. And my son watches it and loves it. And it's like, it's very intentionally teaching them life lessons. And, you know, so there's good stuff there, but you definitely have to weed it out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of crap today. So we end up basically like kind of finding the best of our childhood and a few good things today and kind of mixing it up together. So Yeah, I think you got to mix it up. Because, I mean, I agree. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was the best back then. Like all that stuff, like... um, uh, what were those duck, Darkwing Duck? Do you remember? Like, oh my gosh! The yes. early '90s were actually really good on Nickelodeon. It was that Nickelodeon. I can't remember Darkwing Duck or um, what was the other one with the pilot? Uh, Tailspin. Tailspin. Yes. yes. How did you know I was going to say so that? So good. That's crazy. I, I don't know. They're just they're just together. Yeah, they, they were time. linked. Or Chippendale yeah. Rescue Rent. Yeah, I mean, there was some good stuff yeah. back then. Jeez. All right, nostalgia fest. We could keep going all day. All right. Well, glad to be back in the saddle. We're going to be back to a regular posting schedule and lots of great content. So go check out the show notes. Um, I have no idea what the URL is going to be. Just go to LaravelPodcast.com and I'll link all the stuff in there. And uh, until next time, good talking to y'all.